So welcome to Digital Value Creation. I'm here today with Kyle Garman. Kyle is an SVP of Global Business Development at SAP, and he's also a best-selling author of The Entrepreneurial Mindset. Welcome, Kyle. Great to be here, Tomas. So I actually want to get started with your background. You have a fascinating background. You spent a lot of time in technology and spent time in investing, and now you got to a book. So I, I, I want to hear a little bit about that journey. Yeah, well, thanks for the question, Tomas. And again, congrats on your success with this uh, with this platform. I think it's a fantastic way to get these uh, conversations out there. Um, you know, background-wise, I started out in strategy consulting uh, at Bain and focused on the technology industry. Did a couple startups that were very successful, and then joined SAP about 18 years ago, thinking I'd be there for a couple of years. And here we are, 18 years later, um, and I had a great run. And continued to do some really interesting things at SAP. And uh, just in July, I launched a book called The Entrepreneurial Mindset, which is, as you said, a number one Amazon bestseller. I was fortunate to win a, an Author of the Year award as well. And it's a topic that I'm quite passionate about. I think it fits into, it's a certain angle into this sort of digital uh, conversation. So so looking forward to talking to you about it today, Tomas. You're on the board of Nifty. And uh, and for those that don't know, uh, is, is an organization that focuses on helping high school students, uh, especially for disenfranchised neighborhoods, get ahead. And uh, I really like the premise of the book that actually contributes to Nifty in its funding. But because you talk about technology, you talk about the future of work, and you, you sort of help prepare kids on what that future is going to look like. So would you share what you learned in your putting that book together about that journey and what's to expect? Yeah, absolutely, Tomas. And you're right, 100% of the proceeds from the book are donated directly to Nifty. I've been fortunate to be on the board of directors of this nonprofit based in New York City for um, almost six years now. And really the fundamental premise of the book is that when you look at the future of work, um, that we're really not preparing our young people with a kind of mindset they need to operate in this environment of exponential change. And the educational system was, of course, designed you know, based upon the Prussian factory model of education, where you're sort of learning um, you know, what I call in the book convergent thinking, which is how to get to the right answer. And when you think about the future of work and the nature of exponential change, you really need to have a, a divergent thinking mindset. So the ability to continuously create and innovate and reimagine possibilities and have a lot of flexibility and adaptability. And so the, really that's the thrust of the book is using project-based entrepreneurship education within these students to develop their mindset um, so that they're prepared for this radically different future of work that is many, in many ways already upon us, but continues at this incredibly exponential pace, especially with COVID uh, accelerating things significantly. It's it's interesting. I I hear, especially in investment circles, this this necessity for growth mindset, which is one common term. And I think what you're talking about is is is, is divergent thinking, just looking for constantly looking for ways, I guess, to pivot. Is that what it means? Yeah. Well, there's eight domains of the entrepreneurial mindset. You know, you, you can read about the book. I could talk about it a few, but I think you know if you look at what Satya Nadella did with the growth mindset, um, uh, and he really put that at the center of his transformation strategy. He basically said, look, we're going to take Microsoft from a uh, from a, a know-it-all culture to a learn-it-all culture. And the growth mindset was really central to that. I think the entrepreneurial mindset is a little bit different in the sense that it's, it's comprehensive in terms of how to innovate um, and how to have a mindset geared towards continuous innovation. Um, and there's sort of eight domains of creativity and innovation, having a, a future orientation where you're constantly evaluating trends in the marketplace, uh, understanding how to recognize opportunity, um, communicating and collaborating with other people, flexibility and adaptability. So it's all these things. When you, and you look at the skills, when, when the World Economic Forum ranks the top skills, you see this radical shift. And this is really a key point that I make is that 
um, you, you, because of this exponential pace of technology, um, you really need to develop these you know, right brain divergent thinking skills, these, uh, this entrepreneurial mindset to be successful in this, this, uh, this era of, of exponential change, which you and I live, live in on a daily basis. You and I live in this daily basis, but it looks like the rest of the world is living this on a daily basis now. You, you got it. Uh, so I'm wondering, uh, since you wrote this book, I, I saw some early versions of this before the crisis uh, and then it came out. Uh, is there something uh, uh, that you thought about after it was published? They said, well, the crisis may have reinforced some of the points you were making or or maybe you're changing some some of the emphasis that you were talking about in the book. Yeah, I, I think there's no question that the, the you know, I, I mean, you would probably agree with me if, and most people have said things like, you know, COVID has accelerated digital transformation by a factor of five years or or even 10 years. And so I think the future of work has come a lot faster, you know, than we anticipated, but it looks very similar. I also think what it's done is it's created, and I think this is the theme for the World Economic Forum 2021, it's called the Great Reset. Um, and, and I think what it's done is it's opened people's minds to really think differently about a broad range of topics, education being one of them. And so my hope is that the, the door opens to the point where we can actually start to get meaningful change in, in how we prepare people and, and what we, how we define what kind of mindset people need to thrive in this era uh, where, where things change so fast. I mean, how do, you, how, do you, uh, how do you build a mindset that is prepared to adapt all the time? Um, and so I think I think this open mindedness is um, is is uh, is there, which I, again, hope can be um, helpful to to advance the sort of change that I'm, I'm looking to achieve in the book. These are great points. And um, and I think in just day to day interactions uh, with my clients and, and, uh, and investors I deal with, there's a lot of a uh, lot of um, conversation about how certain companies reacted differently to the crisis. And, and in many times they take it back to leadership, not leadership strength or weakness. It's more like mindset, like certain leaders were more open minded, looking for signals and others were trying to still play their playbook that didn't work. Um, now, you and I have uh, the good or bad fortune of probably living through now three crises, probably the dot com one, uh, the 2008 and now this one. Do you think uh, from a technology industry perspective, do you think it's more of the same in terms of how the industry is going to recover or this is fundamentally different? I, I think it's fundamentally different because I think this time every company is now a technology company. If you're not a technology company, um, you're not going to be around for, for very long. And I think that cuts across just about every industry. There may be a few exceptions to that. And then I think that is fundamentally different than the dot-com era or the 08 crisis. Um, I think we're just fundamentally in a, a profoundly different environment going forward in 2020 and beyond. And, and I think though the companies that have adapted, that have moved to digital faster, um, that, that have developed a culture of reimagination and recreation and reinvention and constantly revisiting the assumptions that they're making rather than relying on playbooks of the past. And also the speed, I think, that's the other dynamic that I think is so different now is the speed at which you can move. You know, you and I are having this conversation, you know, on a video call. I mean, I'm seeing things move 10 times faster than they were before because there was an expectation when you're building new businesses where you have to meet in person. And that, that expectation is, is gone. And so you can pop uh, people all over the world on a Zoom call and get something done in an hour that it used to take six to eight weeks. So I think the speed of change has radically been accelerated um, uh, as a result of, of COVID. So I do think this is fundamentally different profoundly different than any of the other crises we've had in the past. I thought you had a really dramatic opening to your book, and I want to 
want to move on from the book, but this is just, uh, uh, I want to ask you about predictions. So you open the book with saying the world is going to change because there's going to be all these digital workers and the human um, and automation, human and software interaction. Um, if you step back and look at the crisis and the momentum and the speed, as you're saying, with digital transformation, what are the kinds of things that you get excited about? Saying that what I thought is going to be out there a couple of years out may be getting closer. Are there certain technologies or are there certain changes, social changes or otherwise that you think are accelerating? I think that there's, there's a couple of ways to look at this. I mean, one, one thing is, do we come back after COVID? Does the in-person interaction come back? Do offices look like they did before? I think the answer is no. And so one, one thing that I'm quite excited about, especially for technology companies, is the ability to recalibrate your cost structure. And so, for example, we're looking at, you know, dumping half of our real estate portfolio. You know, if, if before it required traveling 10, 15 times to get to an enterprise agreement or 20 times or 50 times, you know, and now it's only one time and the rest is done through Zoom. You know, you can cut out, you know, large technology companies can cut out billions of dollars from their travel budget. They can cut billions of dollars out of their real estate budget. So I think the winner, what I get excited about in terms of just who are going to be the winners I think it's the ones that are adaptive enough to realize how they orchestrate their process changes, recalibrate their cost structures, and and really you know think about hiring, distribute and distributed model now, um, which opens up all kinds of possibilities. So I think it's those companies that are thinking so differently. And you see, of course, you know Twitter and Google, and so, you know some of that we're going to no longer have any you know you work from home forever. Right? I think it's those companies that are forward thinking in that regard because you can get more talent and you can move a lot faster. Um, and, and I think that's really the, and, and you can recalibrate your cost structure. So I think those are some of the key ingredients that I get excited about in terms of who are really gonna be the winners of this next era. It's a great point about cost structure. One of the, the other uh, interview, we talked about talent barriers. Uh, any tech company in the US heavily relies on, on uh, foreign workers, typically coming from Asia, uh, bringing unique talent. And, and it's become you know, difficult because of uh, visa issues and just, especially in COVID, travel is just out of the question. And now we're seeing startups basically assemble completely a, a remote and global workforce so you no longer have to think in, I have to import people from one area to another, this brain drain that used to be the way of, of American innovation. Now you can get access to the same resources, the same talent globally. And I, I think that's, that's absolutely new as well. Uh, is that what you're seeing? I, I, I would agree. And I think the challenge fundamentally going forward is going to be this balancing act of, 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 of accessing talent wherever it is. And, and operating virtually in, I think, a lower-cost environment, lower-cost processes than he did in the past, but at the same time being able to build culture and being able to build the kind of human connections within your company that people feel like, like, like the company is, is, is a, an important part of their lives. And I think that's the risk when you go distributed is – you know, how do you develop these kind of you know, human bonds, human to human bonds, and also the affinity for the company that you're working for? And so I think that the middle ground is something like a distributed workforce where you're only getting together much less, much, much less frequently, but you're getting together for high impact social interactions for multiple days at a time. And it's really centered on building culture, building, you know, team building, bonding, those kinds of things. But I think it will happen a lot less, you know, than it did before. I think companies that capitalize on that trend of you know, hiring all over the world, but also building culture with a lower cost structure are going to be the winners in, in, the, in, the, in, the, in the years and decades to come. What do you think that world is going to look like for the current high schoolers and college students? And in full disclosure, I have one of each. 
Um, <laughs> what, what, what should they be prepared for? You know, I mean, I think this is really where I, I center the, the book on. You know, I look out, say, 10 years and, and, and say, what is it going to look like? Again, I think COVID has dramatically collapsed this this time. But I, I think at the end of the day, what I argue is what the timeless skill or the timeless piece that I think every young person needs to have is, is a mindset. And I call it the entrepreneurial mindset. I go through the eight domains of the mindset. And the reason I use the word timeless is because it, it, no matter what hard skills you're developed, I make the case in the book that whatever hard skills, coding skills or other whatever hard skill you want to talk about, that, that the, the, the uh, obsolescence rate of those hard skills is going to mirror the exponential pace of technological change. And so you're going to get into this virtuous cycle of skilling and reskilling and reskilling and reskilling. And that's not really a winning strategy. What is a winning strategy? This thing is so disruptive, right? You, what, what is a winning strategy is from a younger age developing our young people with a kind of mindset that is a, that is is conducive to constant change and is flexible and adaptable and can see opportunities and can navigate navigate opportunities and that mindset the entrepreneurial mindset is what I call timeless because that's something you'll carry through the entirety of your working life whereas certain hard, hard skills are going to come and go but this entrepreneurial mindset is what's timeless it's what lasts through the entirety of your of your working life so that's the argument i make in the book i think one one thing i would add to that is i think that the gig economy i think we're going to see an ex, the gig economy is exploding you know if you, if you if you look at like generation z 53% view the gig economy as their long term career path and so i think that this general sense of um, of 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 project based work um, I think that's one of the things that how do you prepare for that uh, same argument I made before? But that the, my predict one of the predictions I would make is that the, an explosion of of, of 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 fixed and variable cost structures when it comes to talent, with a much bigger portion of it going to a variable cost structure and gig economy workers. And I think people need to be pre- uh, prepared for that. So let's let's shift a bit. And uh, you you obviously in your role you deal with a lot of customers, large customers at that that are making a major technology bets. And, uh, and those bets are obviously underpinning their strategy. Um, so I have two questions. The first question is, have you noticed shifts in your customers? Certain customers probably handle the crisis better and they're coming out with a slightly different strategy than others. Is there something that you're noticing that the winners are doing differently from the laggards, let's say? I mean, the first segment I would make is there are certain industries that are just fighting for survival, travel, hospitality, you know, those sort of core things, you know, restaurants, you know, certain consumer retail businesses. Um, and so I think it's just, it's, it's really about one thing and one thing only, and that's survival and doing whatever you need to do to survive. So, so there's that, there's that segment on, on the other, on the flip side, you see a lot of businesses, particularly technology businesses that are, you know, uh, uh, zoom is, is the, the, the classic case, but there's lots of others uh, that are are thriving, um, you know, in this sort of new work from home and virtual and highly uh, gig gig economy, if if you will. And so I think it's these companies that are 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 in a position to capitalize on um, this work from home trend. And and I also think that from a digitization of business process perspective, um, I think that's where we also see because even in industries that have not been hit so hard, you see this dichotomy of companies that are still operating many of their processes on spreadsheets. And those that are highly automated with with the with the latest technology, and in the latter camp, when you're highly automated, you can get visibility into your inventory, and you can react much much more quickly and make decisions much more quickly. And also, for example, get a view into your cash 
you know, you're, you know, from a cash management perspective. So if you're not, if you don't have real time access to that data, what we've seen is that companies have have really struggled are the ones that are do not have that kind of automation and therefore cannot re- adapt adapt you know, as rapidly. And those that have not have, have struggled mightily just to do the basic things of getting their supply chain in order. Where is their inventory or what is their what is their cash position? You know, and what changes they have to make? I think that's another big, um, big sort of dichotomy that I see. Kyle, let me make it personal. So in your role, you're an executive. Uh, you have a variety of roles. How are you changing how you operate? Because at the end of the day, uh, it's the leaders who, who set the tone for any organization. Uh, so in, in, in how you operate, beyond obviously doing more Zoom, that's clear, uh, have, you, have you thought about how, how this uh, last couple of months are changing your own operating model? Yeah, you know, it's funny because I, this is this I, I, I applied a lot of the, the, the things I wrote about in terms of the entrepreneurial mindset. And I actually now apply them to, to my own life. I'll give you one one example. You know, I, I used to have a more I, I, I generally view, uh, you know, interactions with people in the context of collaboration as opposed to competition. And that's, you know, and, and the reason for that is because of the pace of change is so rapid. You need to have these cross-functional teams and then cross geographic teams. And so it's no longer about sort of, you know, competing to, you know, navigate into, you know, up an organization, let's say. It's much more about collaboration across cross-functional, across geography. And so it's this collaborative mindset. And, and what I see is that, you know, you can actually move, you can innovate much faster and you can move much faster with this agile, uh, you know, uh, confidence and this idea that, you know, you're not everybody's on the same team, you know, and I think what's disappearing is the hierarchies, you know, the whole concept of bureaucracy and, and rigid organizational structures, they're basically disappearing. And so it really no, it no longer matters. What, what matters is who's who's taking initiative and who's leading something, who's innovating um, and how are they bringing a virtual team together to advance initiative, not necessarily people that are reporting to them, but but people from all kinds of geographies and, and, and functions within the organization. So so I think it's this shift from a bureaucratic structure to an agile structure, a flat organization structure, and then the ability to be a leader without having a huge team of direct reports, for example. I think that's an, another area where I focused a lot personally um, is the ability to just you know bring teams, virtual teams together and get results without having to rely so much on people that are reporting to you that are therefore accountable directly to you. And I, so I think that's another thing that I've personally taken on over the last you know, couple of years. And with COVID, I think it's, again, accelerated even further. Yeah, you raise a good point with structures disappearing in a way. And, and uh, one of the comments a client of mine mentioned to me was uh, that uh, in the 90s, there was this whole concept of self-directed work teams. They, they formed themselves and they, you don't need a lot of micromanagement yeah. and guidance. And I think in this crisis, there are no, all the books were thrown out the window. So it naturally, naturally, a lot of structures emerged in terms of how people collaborate, to your point, and, and how they approach work and how they assign work and how, you, how they get things done. And, and I think management science may find a whole new area to research because this was just nothing that you learn in business school. You sort of have to figure it out as you go. I love your your phrase self-directed teams because that 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 is another way of saying, you know, articulating the, the concept I was saying because it, it's no longer the case that, you know, uh, this sort of, you know, top-down organization can actually know how to organize to adapt to this rapid change. 
It's actually people that are in the midst of whatever the initiative or the program or the process that actually, you know, and so, and I think from a people perspective, it's the people that can adapt to this really just new style of working. I think the people that were traditionally just sort of climbing a ladder and building the organization and that's how they view the world. I think that's, that's really difficult because it doesn't work anymore. You know, it requires a much more entrepreneurial approach, a much more entrepreneurial mindset, a mindset of agility and cross-functional team collaboration, um, you know, to get things done. And so that's, that's a huge shift, no question. One of the questions I asked a couple of people was um, how they think we're coming out of this crisis. And, and it sort of surprised me because a lot of people thought that the business is going to come out a lot stronger. It's uh, that age-old adage of, of a crisis creates opportunities. Um, what's your view? Are we going to be much stronger as businesses and tech, tech firms, or are we going to struggle for a while? I, I think what we're going to see is a, uh, a, a huge bifurcation. Really, I think there's going to be like you look at some of the studies around the, the, the average tenure of an S&P 500 company, you know, 20 years ago was something like 35 years. And that's getting cut down to 15 quickly to 10, maybe even to five years. And so what I think is, you know, from an investing point of view, I think it's a it, it requires much more rigor in terms of thinking the companies uh, thinking about the companies that you want to invest in. Um, because there are going to be big winners and big losers. And I think the, the companies that are going to really struggle that don't have to, uh, the ability to reinvent and reimagine their business, they're, they're going to get trampled. And so I think we're approaching an year over the next 10 years. We're going to see a set of really big winners and really big losers. And I think you're going to see companies going out of business at a rate that we haven't seen before. So are we going to emerge stronger? Well, I think it depends on what half of the, uh, the, the, the fence you're on. I mean, I think certain companies will, will emerge incredibly strong and much stronger, and other companies will go out of business. And I think, I think that's just it's, – it's, uh, someone used the phrase digital Darwinism. You know? and, and I think we're you – know, maybe that's a, a, a way of, of thinking about it is that we are in an era where you're going to see some big winners and big losers. And so that's, that's just the reality of the next 10 years, at least as I see it. I love the term digital Darwinism. Uh, um, I asked others, uh, you know, what technology they get excited about. And some people love blockchain. Some people hate it. Some people like augmented reality. Some, some others focus on AI and others think AI is, is, is hype. What is it you get excited about, whether it's an investor as, as just as a software executive? Uh, so I'm really excited about industry-specific uh, software. I think that's a really... Um, a really big opportunity. I mean, if I think more generally about what technologies I, I, I'm excited about, I mean, machine learning, I think, is, is the real thing. I mean, I think it's the ability to, um, and I'm not a blockchain fan either. I mean, I think, you know, that you can go either way on that one. But I think machine learning as a technology, you, know, you think about all the professions that involve pattern recognition, like a doctor diagnosing a disease or a lawyer uh, uh, you know, uh, you know, navigating a case or, um, or, 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 or other, other uh, professions, an accountant that is having to, um, you know, reconcile, uh, you know, financial statements. I mean, th these professions where people, you know, a doctor, what I say, a doctor, lawyer, accountant, those three were the ones I just named. I think machine learning is, 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 is tailor made for those kinds of problems where you're learning and then you're recognizing patterns and then you're dealing with things on an exception basis. So, so the one, one thing I get most excited about is applying machine learning to problems that involve pattern recognition and the industries that involve a heavy degree of pattern recognition. I think there's just tremendous opportunity in that, 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 in that sweet spot. So here's my final question for you, and it's sort of a hot seat kind of question. Uh, so, so I'm a young entrepreneur. I'm getting in the elevator, recognize you. You wrote this book about entrepreneurial mind, and we had that 20 second. And I'm going to ask you the question, so what should be the 
what should be top of mind for me? I'm creating a business in 2020. What's what's your advice for me? Yeah, I think that the number one um, advice I would give to um, a young um, a young entrepreneur um, is to leverage the fact that you're a digital native. Um, and by that, I mean that you've grown up in, in a world that, you know, the prior generations didn't grow up in. And so it's really to exploit this competitive advantage that you have as a young person of being a digital native. And what I would say is identify, it's all about identifying problems and creating new solutions. And so that would probably be the second thing I would say is, is being very focused on understanding what the problem is, how big is it, who's affected by it, how is the problem being solved today, and then leverage your ability as a digital native to come up with new and different and distinct ways to solve those problems. Um, and I think that's the key for young entrepreneurs today is to sort of stay in this competitive world of competitive advantage that they have with this you know, sort of um, you know, heavily digital native uh, backgrounds. And then again, focus on a problem and a solution to that problem that's new and, and innovative and stick with it, you know, stick with it, solve the problem and then build from there. So that would be, um, that would be the, the things that I would, I would probably say. I think we can uh, close on that very inspirational summary. Kyle, it was great to have you today. Thanks for joining me. Absolutely, Tomas. Thanks for having me. And again, congrats on your success with this platform. I love it and uh, great to be here. 